Well, morning. Good morning. <laughs> this is fun. This is different. It feels quite like COVID. Just seeing an empty space in front of me and people very far away. Uh, it's good to see some of you and good to see some of you. Uh, yeah, I'm Joel. I'm 25 now. I first started coming to Teeth as a youth when I was a strove. I think I was about 17. And Teeth will always have a special place in my heart. I love coming back here. It's like coming home, really. And I do genuinely say to people, if it wasn't for the people here at Hewitty Baptist Church, my walk with Jesus would probably be very different. So thank you. And thank you for coming this morning, because I know it's different and weird. So you clearly really want to hear from God this morning and just really want to encourage you in that and say, well done. And even planning a little bit this morning and thinking a bit about this morning, I really felt God was saying, well done to you as a church. The last eight years that I've been involved with Hosey Baptist Church have been a lot. For a church, you have faced a lot. You faced an old building, then suddenly being demolished, a new building going up, a terribly painful season. Then COVID hit. We all know what happened there. Then Chris Norden, that wonderful old pastor, was moved on to study a bit more. And now you're looking for a new pastor. But God is the same. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And just wanted to encourage you and say, well done. Well done for your resilience. And so at the minute, I'm working at Bolney Village Chapel with my dad. Uh, I was working in Northeast London for 18 months, and for various reasons that didn't work out, so I transferred my training at the end of January. And so I'm there until the end of July, still praying about September, but I'm doing leading, speaking, Sunday school, kids clubs, whatever, being immersed in church leadership culture and seeing if I really want to do it or not. But I am loving my time being back in Sussex, and it's a joy to work alongside Dad too. So why don't we get stuck in this morning, where I think you've been reading a book called Incomparable, and I'll confess I haven't read it, but I know you're on the section about God being love. So if you'd like to turn to 1 John 4, we'll be looking at just three verses. So 1 John 4, verses 8 to 10. Give you a few seconds to So 1 John 4, 8-10 says, Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world, that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So why don't we pray before we dig in? Yeah, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is living and active. And we thank you that by your Holy Spirit, you are here this morning. And we welcome you this morning. That though we may be sat at a distance, you are close. That you are close to each and every one of us. And you know all that we're thinking, all that we're feeling, 
and yet you still love us. And so would we meet with your love this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. So I laughed when I got this passage through, because it's literally three verses. I thought, great, cool. <laughs> That's not a lot. But actually, they are three verses that carry a lot of weight. Three verses that cut to the core of what it means to be a Christian. Three verses, and the word love or loved is mentioned six times. Points if you can guess what I'm speaking on this morning. The concept of God being love. God is love. So let's start at the beginning of verse 8. The first part of verse 8 says, Whoever does not love does not know God. This is a choice, and a choice that we should care about. In John writing this, there is an echo of his gospel and his gospel account when the following takes place in chapter 13. I'd like you to picture the scene. It's the Last Supper. Jesus is with his nearest and his dearest. He has washed their feet. They've shared a meal with one another. And in verse 30, we read, as soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out and it was night. Judas has now left the room, the room of deepest fellowship and friendship. Jesus has just watched Judas's feet. They've just shared a meal with one another. Judas has left the room. And Jesus is the only one who knows why he has left the room. Jesus will soon be betrayed. I think we can so easily take the emotions out of the Bible, but just imagine the emotion of this moment. Judas the friends of the other disciples, more than likely to the shock and surprise of the other disciples, left the room. Imagine the door shutting. Imagine how the atmosphere suddenly changed from one of friendship and probably laughter to suddenly Judas has left the room. And it's only when Judas leaves the room that Jesus says, my children, I will be with you only a little longer. In calling his disciples children in this moment, this is a moment of deep connection, deep intimacy between Jesus and his disciples. Jesus then, knowing that the time is of the essence, says, love one another. As I have loved you, so that you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Just imagine the emotion. The emotion that Jesus will have been showing. This really matters. Jesus wanted his disciples to know this. He knew what was going to happen. The disciples hadn't got a clue. And yet he says, love one another. And it is in loving one another that people will know that you are my disciples. 
we, like the disciples, are called by Jesus to love one another. And it is when we love one another that we can begin to know more of God. And there is a difference between knowing about someone and knowing someone. I don't know about you and how your relationship with God is going, but I don't just want to live life knowing about him. I want to know him personally. And I think there's a key difference in knowing about him and knowing him. I love how Deb led us in that time of open the eyes of my heart, Lord. The words, I want to see you, have such power. Have su it's such a powerful prayer. In fact, there was a time when we sang that song at the church I used to work at and just interrupted the worship set and everybody was like, whoa, what? And decided we'd change the words from I want to see you to we want to see you. And we came as a corporate church and sang the words we want to see you. The church should be wanting to see more of Jesus. To know more of Jesus. And there are several different words in the ancient Greek language, translated know, into English. And this specific word for know is genisko. I think I'm saying that right. I did look on YouTube this morning. Genisko. And it's the word for a knowledge by experience. And so you could say, John is saying, when we really experience God, it will be shown by our love for one another. And the question I've got linked to that is, are we making space on a regular basis to experience God? Back at the beginning of April, at the chapel, we've been doing a Hope Explored course, which is like Christianity Explored, but it's three weeks. And it's about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And it's a really good course. I really, really recommend it, because obviously a lot of people can commit to three weeks, not ten weeks, like an alpha but we've seen it go really well, and I helped lead it with a couple in the church who have a beautiful barn conversion, and we've recently had a new couple come who have a young family, and that's really exciting. We were immediately like, oh, come to this. And the most exciting thing is they're keen and they're excited. And we were having a time discussing prayer and the importance of having a go with it, even if it was just a random prayer. So one of their sons is severely autistic, and so we said, why don't you pray for him? Why don't you pray that he'll become more and more verbal? Why don't you pray that his attachment with you will begin to change? And I mean, amazingly, we have seen that begin to happen. And the joke is I help at the parent toddler group on a Tuesday morning, and they'll often come saying, I've been saying my prayers and this has happened. And we just laugh and say, I wonder why. But we were discussing prayer and another guy who was helping lead this course shared a beautiful thought and it was a suggestion of, he argued it was the most important prayer that we can pray as followers of God. And that is the prayer of asking God to reveal himself. Are we asking God to reveal himself? When he said it, I really felt challenged. Am I asking that God would reveal himself to me? But also, what a powerful prayer to those that are just becoming Christians, too. 
As John writes this challenge, I am struck by its relevance for the church generally, the church with a capital C. Are we asking God to reveal himself? Are we making time and space to experience him? It's when we make time and space for him that we will experience him, encounter him, and therefore be changed by him. In fact, wouldn't it be amazing if we had such encounters with him that we changed? That when people spoke to us, they were like, there's something different about you. And because of that encounter, we're so full of the boldness and the confidence that comes from the Holy Spirit that we say, it's God, it's not me. He did this, I couldn't do this. This was happening, but God. It's the but God narrative. In the second part of verse eight, we read, because God is love. So easy to, I'm doing the Bible in a year at the minute, and sometimes it's so easy just to skim through, particularly as I'm in Leviticus at the minute, I'm kind of like, move on. I joke, I love Leviticus, there's actually a lot to it. But it is, there are certain days where certain words, I'm like, another offering, another thing. But in this sentence, because God is love. There's a wonderful song lyric from the song Sovereign Over Us, if you know it. And one of the words, well, one of the lyrics is, I'm face to face with love himself. I'm face to face with love himself. Wouldn't it be awesome if we could say that is true of us? That we are regularly, daily meeting face to face with love himself. And I loved Matt's prayer earlier, because it's actually a point that I make here. In saying God is love, we are not saying it's another attribute, character trait, or part of his personality. It is who he is. God is love himself. All that he is and does is love. And in love, he's not just loving or lovable, like a cute puppy, but the very definition of love. When we consider his motives, his nature, when looking at God, the very filter we should put it through is that he is love. Why did God create humankind? Because he is love. Why is he patient with us? Because he is love. In the book of Colossians, we read, the sun is the image of the invisible God. In understanding and discerning the premise and concept of this, when we read of, hear of, see, and encounter Jesus, as the Puritan writer Thomas Goodwin says, Christ is love covered over in flesh. Jesus is fully son of God. And I love that quote, that Christ is love covered over in flesh. And it is in this love that we read on in verse nine that God showed his love among us by sending his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. In Jesus being sent into the world, it is like walking a brand new white pair of trainers through an incredibly muddy puddle. Though the trainers may get covered in mud, they are still the white trainers. 
Jesus, the sinless one, was sent into the world that was and is an entirely sinful one. On Wednesday, I finished a theological study, which was a two-year journey. I did a part-time postgraduate in kingdom theology. Don't ask me what it means. But it was such a rich learning experience. I learned so much about the heart of God in it. Yes, there were academic bits that went, but there's bits that went into my heart and will change my relationship with him and his word forever. And one of the modules that crossed over both the first and the second year was the introduction to the concept of Christology. It's a big word. I'll put it very simply, the study of Christ, the study of Jesus. And within this, we were introduced to the concept of hypostatic union, which is, again, a very fun word. It sounds like a hoover. But it's actually a technical term used to describe the union of both humanity and divinity found in Jesus. Jesus was and is the Son of God, so he's fully God. But he was also Jesus of Nazareth, too, fully human. In fact, one of my favorite lecturers loved exploring the Jesus of, Jesus of Nazareth narrative. He was fully human. He would have walked around like we do. In fact, there's even a verse that says there was nothing to attract us to him. He will have looked like everybody else, but it's what he did. It was his obedience that made him different. And in Jesus being fully God and fully human, this is the word became flesh stuff we read of in the beginning of John's gospel. C.S. Lewis writes, the central miracle asserted by Christians is the incarnation. They say that God became man. That statement is pretty crazy. God, the indescribable, uncontainable, became man and became man that we might live through him as John writes here and in John writing this we can recognize that it was not the love of the father shown by sending Jesus into the world but also in what that sending means for us that Jesus came into this world to bring us life and life in all its fullness that we would become people of dependence rather than independence. I'm slowly realizing I've got points where I'll just become independent. When study got a bit annoying and I just wanted to do it on my own, I just brush aside and get onto my laptop and type away. But then time and time again, I felt, so I did my degree in early childhood study, something completely different, and I said to God, I never want to study again. And he clearly chuckled at that point and said, yeah, you are. Yes, you will. But I really felt before I even started that study that it was something we do together. And so I'm not perfect by any means. But one thing I'm trying to pray when I do something is, God, I want to do this with you. Let's do this together. And it's a simple prayer, but an important one, where we are so easily automatic to the independence we need to become dependent. There's the song, 
that has the lyric, it's his breath in our lungs. And in Jesus, we see the Father's commitment to humanity. The final verse, verse 10. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. We are introduced again to the love that God has for humankind. But again, the first part of that sentence, not that we loved him. No, that he loved us. He loved me, he loved you, he loved us. He loves Haywood Heath. And he's positioned this church to love on Haywood Heath. Later on in this chapter of 1 John, spoiler alert, it says that we love and can only love because he loved us first. As I reflected on Good Friday this year, I shared a short thought on Facebook. It's literally a sentence, but it was, he who was altogether lovely took upon his shoulders all of our unlovely. He who was altogether lovely took upon his shoulders all of our unlovely. Without Jesus, we are unlovely. But he who was and is altogether lovely takes our unlovely and gives us his lovely. And this is the core of what it means for God to send Jesus as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Jesus took the sins of the world, of me, of you, of us, upon his shoulders and declared it is finished over each and every one of them. He hasn't forgotten the one that you try and hide from everyone. Over that hidden one, he says, it is finished. To atone means to pay or compensate something. Jesus removed. He paid the price that was rightfully ours so that the obstacles between us and relationship with him were removed. Remember, at school I was terrible at, well, sport generally, but sports day was never a fun time, but I remember a time in primary school where the hurdles were out. And they were never actually very high, were they? They were only ever like that high. And I remember one practice before my parents came and all the parents came, I tripped over every single one of them. And yet now I could probably go, and it would be nothing. But we can stumble time and time and time again. But actually Jesus has removed those hurdles. Isn't it weird how we can put hurdles back? back in place, where Jesus has removed them and said it is finished. We in our fallenness can put them back to then stumble over again. This is a challenge for me too, but I need to get more conscious about remembering those hurdles have been removed. There is nothing that can separate us between us, the fallen humankind, and God. In John's Gospel, we read, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. 
Jesus considers you to be his friend this morning and was willing to lay down his life for you in the most brutal way possible. And there's just a picture I wanted to show you. If we could have that up. And if you can't see it, I'm going to explain it anyway. But this was created by an artist called Sandro Botticelli in 1491, and it's called Holy Trinity. And it's obviously an image of the crucifixion. But we were first introduced to this. We had residentials with my theology study, and this was the penultimate residential. And the pr principal of the college showed this picture because she suggests that the Trinity was present at the crucifixion. You'll see Jesus hanging on the cross as he often is depicted. But then you'll see the dove above him. Holy Spirit is with him. We read of the Holy Spirit descending on Jesus like a dove. We never read of it flying off him, do we? And then you've got the Father embracing the cross too. And though we probably won't know until eternity, I'd like to argue that the Trinity was present at the crucifixion. That at Jesus' lowest point, how could his loving Father, the one who loved him more than anyone or anything, turn his face away? And the reason I remember this picture is because of the emotion of my lecturer. Where lectures, I'm used to being quite a structured, sat, silent kind of atmosphere. She broke when she showed this picture and cried in front of all 300 students and said, this is the Jesus I believe in. This is the crucifixion I believe happened. And there was something about that where theology didn't just become an academic subject anymore. Studying Jesus didn't just become another academic thing anymore. It became a, wow, he is real kind of moment. And I think we need those moments. We need those moments where we experience him again. And you might be feeling dry, you might be feeling quite thirsty this morning. That's exactly where God wants you, that he might fill you and feed you. Tozer writes, in reality, salvation was bought not by Jesus' fist, but by his nail-pierced hands. Not by muscle, but by love. Not by vengeance, but by forgiveness. Not by force, but by sacrifice. Jesus Christ, our Lord, surrendered in order that we might win. He destroyed his enemies by dying for them and conquered death by allowing death to conquer him. And it's that final bit of that quote. Conquered death by allowing death to conquer him. We remember it all at Easter, but is it just an Easter day Good Friday reality, or are we choosing to live that each day? 
that Jesus chose to conquer death by allowing death to conquer him. And if we're really serious, there's that verse of the course where it says to pick up our cross. Are we saying to God, conquer me? So to conclude, four bullet points. The first is we can experience and are invited to experience more of God on a regular basis. Will you let him draw closer? Isn't it easy to have God at arm's length like that? And actually he's saying, I want to come closer. And it's a brave prayer, it's a bold prayer, but it's the simple sentence of come closer. Come closer. And remember in Jesus, we don't see that when we mess up, when we get it wrong, Jesus doesn't run from our sin. He runs towards it. The second point, God is love and it is who he is, not just what he does. And we can know love, we can know him better. Third point, the sacrifice of Jesus in coming to earth and letting humankind, his created, I'm going to put it bluntly, murder him, shows to us the extent that God loves humankind. And the final point is one of personal opinion. It doesn't have to be yours, but I believe that the sacrifice we see and remember at Easter involved and evoked the Trinity. So why don't we pray to end? And you may want to put your hands out in this moment just as a sign that you're saying, here I am, God, here you are. But God, we thank you that you are love. That it is who you are. And we thank you, God, that we can experience you. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, would we experience more of your love on a regular basis would you interrupt us to make space for you to make time for you that we would walk in step with you and Jesus would we be ever mindful of the price that you paid for us because you love us. In your precious name. Amen. So we're just going to go into the final song.